The Beyond Yacht Rock podcast is uh, coming to you on the feralaudio.com podcast network. Before you shop on Amazon, go to feralaudio.com and click the Shop Amazon button. For crying out loud, you're going to support the show. In 1991, Songwriters Hall of Famer Desmond Child had his first and only top 40 hit as a performer by the barest possible margin. The song Love on a Rooftop peaked at number 40 and dropped out the very next week. As the leader of the late 70s disco rock band Desmond Child and Rouge, he'd released two flop albums and had one minor club hit with Our Love is Insane, a song he didn't even sing. His, busy, his biggest success as a singer was probably landing the song Last of an Ancient Breed on the soundtrack of the cult film The Warriors. Good he, movie. Good movie. Not widely appreciated in, in its time, though. This, this is really sad. I hope this guy's career turns around. This is a bummer. I'm yeah. about to blow your mind, J.D. Just like that chorus intro. Now, if... Way to call attention to it. Performed by Desmond Child was never a, a harbinger of commercial success. Co-written by Desmond Child was a credit that set radios ablaze all across this great land. Never a star on his own, even as a writer. Desmond Child is instead the ultimate collaborator. He's the sriracha on your scrambled eggs, the fresh grated parmesan on your spaghetti bolognese, the MSG in your soup noodles, the grilled pineapple slice atop your al pastor taco. He's the extra salt on your poutine, the jizz on your hamburger, the Italian dressing on top of your ranch dressing. Where the fuck are you, you get, eating? You got they, two dressings. You got two out of three right there. He is rarely the dish itself, but his presence is integral to the flavor profile. He is the umami of arena rock that wakes up the other ingredients and elevates the finished product from nondescript to transcendent. Guys, I've been waiting a long, long time to bring this playlist to the people. Much longer than we've been doing this podcast. I've had this list ready for about three months and today, I finally have an outlet with which to pay loving tribute to the corporate arena rock superhero of my youth. This is the Beyond Yacht Rock Songwriters series Desmond Child. Beyond Yacht Rock Podcast, the podcast that creates arbitrary genres and counts them down. My name is J.D. Riznar. I've bought up some briefs. I'm wearing them now. Feel a little lighter in the top legs. Hmm. Hollywood Steve, lovely intro today. Thank you very much, J.D. I'm in the captain's chair today, and we're going to be looking at Desmond Child. Hi, Dave. Hey, hey tell me about your briefs. Are you... Uh... Trying to get a sponsor by Me Undies or uh, one hey. of those other favorite. Uh, what you just did? Podcast uh, sponsors. Hey, briefs—they kind of chafe more than boxer briefs. A little bit. Hunter. Hi, everybody. I'm not wearing underwear. Oh. Gene Commando. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Good we're the guy, we're the guys who have made the Yacht Rock web show. So we like to do a Yacht Rock song, like a feature one. It's a bone throw to Yacht Rock fans. We're throwing you a bone, and this is the first time we've ever talked about Boz Skaggs on this yeah. podcast. This is Boz Skaggs. Look what you've done to me. It's one of those songs I, I heard recently on the radio, and was like, oh, that's smooth. Oh, this is a Boss Gang song. This is Yachty. And I didn't check out the liner notes. And of course, number one, it's co-written by David Foster, who's the mastermind behind the iconic opening piano riff. Iconic. Mastermind. Riff. These are all words. Uh-huh. David Foster. I, w- I just watched a live video. Uh, not live. It was live to tape. Uh, David Foster was introducing Boz Skaggs and gave this whole speech about how of all the songs he's written or co-written, this is his most favorite song he's ever done. This is most one of them. <laughs> Either that or he was just uh, blowing smoke up a Skaggs ass. I'd love to blow smoke up Skaggs ass. I'm going to do it a little bit here today. Yeah, he came out and played. It was great. Um Exactly. Number two about this song, basically Toto was the backing band on this track, uh, and they also backed his album Silk Degrees before they were Toto. Silk Degrees is so Toto, how 
How Toto is it? Even Joe Piccaro, the father of the Piccaro brothers, played drums on this song. The Patriarch. Yeah, I mean, that, that album was like basically the birth of Toto. That was where uh, David Page, David Hungate, and Jeff Piccaro all kind of worked together extensively. They had a lot of creative freedom on that album. Just, uh, they just, just kind of, they, the chemistry was good enough. They're like, hey, we should form a band. Which is why Boz Skaggs kind of feels like proto yacht when you listen to that album because it's almost like too smooth. What year did that it's come proto out? Proto Toto. It's 76. Oh, yeah. That's, it's kind of. It's right there. Might be the first yeah. yacht rock album. <laughs> I, not, all, not all of it is yacht rock, but no. like Low Down is super yacht. Yeah. But it, but it still kind of feels. It, it, it's not yacht. It's not. I've always been a Boz Skaggs. Guy, it's, but but it sounds almost proto. It's proto Toto. It's proto Toto. That's probably why. Um, yeah, they were working on this album, watching like the Wizard of Oz and Cuban vagina porn. Yeah, and oh, that's the best kind of vagina yeah, porn, and, which is called a Toto, as they, we talked yeah, about. Yeah, they had a fancy Japanese toilet. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, Toto. Yeah, and they were like, guys, it's coming together. Every Toto's everywhere. Yeah, it's it's meant to be. Um, so in the web series days, like like we were saying about Boss Gags, I was always on the fence uh, with Boss Gags as a yacht rocker. His sound isn't always right, so I looked into him. Uh, I never I never looked into him, but then I saw him with Michael McDonald and Donald Fagan in the Dukes of September tour, and I was like, oh, these guys accept Boz Skaggs is one of their own. He's definitely a yacht rocker. And ever since then, I've been hearing his songs and going like, oh, yeah, he's kind of doing his own thing. Yeah, he's a wild card like Loggins. Yeah. That's why he's not... Because he can, he can rock. He's not on other people's albums, so you don't like get him fully intertwined. But I will recommend... If you want to listen to almost a pure Yacht Rock album, Down down to Then Left. By Baskeggs. Yeah, that, that was a follow-up to Silk Degrees, right? It, it was. That's why Silk Degrees kind of feels proto, and then when you hear that, it's pure. Where was where was Lowdown? What album was that on? That was Silk Degrees. Silk Degrees? Because that's a goddamn Yachty song. I actually yeah. think it's more Yachty than this one. I want to do something nice and soft and pretty. Yeah? Um, but who is Baskeggs, guys? It's time to blow the lid off of this guy. Yeah. Because nobody's, the man. About, about nobody's time. ever been bored enough to go on Boss Gags' Wikipedia page. <laughs> William Roy Skaggs, everyone. It's Williams. That's what Boz is short for. William. So there you go. Yeah. Oh. And he was part of the Steve Miller band back in the really, really early days before Steve Miller was popular. Yes. Like in 68 on an album called Sailor, which was not Yacht Rock at all. It's garbage. It's, it's bullshit. Bullshit is the opposite of Yacht Rock. Yeah, but if you guys like, you guys, hey, you guys like hearing us talking? Yeah, yeah, we do. Sure do, yeah. Well, we're going to talk live to you guys in San Diego on July 23rd at 4 p.m. at the Whistle Stop Bar. We're going to do a live version of the podcast where we listen to Celebrate Me Home by Kenny Loggins from, uh, what do you call it, in in boats shipped to... Ship to tail to, to hull uh, port, port to stern to port stern. to port to stern. Yeah. No, it's stern to bow, isn't it? Stern to bow. <laughs> port from port. Don't to tell me how to walk crooked across the boat, Steve. <laughs> from poop deck to hull bottom. We're going to talk about the whole album. Other birds. It's going to be fun. So Seabird. it's it's Comic Con weekend. You come down and you see us at the Whistle Stop Bar at 4 p.m. and then it's followed by DJ Claire, who does a whole hours and hours of yacht rock afterwards. It's going to be a lovely happy hour. Port to stern. Are you guys yeah. excited? Yeah. I am. Fucking great. Boats. Cool. So, sold that one with our excitement, fellas. Good excitement, everyone. It's going to be great. I'm excited about Desmond Child. Oh, my God. You guys. So, Steve. Welcome to the greatest podcast episode of all time. It's me reading notes about Desmond Child songs. Holy shit. Better than Marin and Obama, before man. You, Steve, before you get, get into it, can I, ask, can I ask you a quick question? Yes, please. At what point did, as a child, did you turn into this corporate shill that you wanted to hear this corporate rock? <laughs> like, uh, what right, about, right about when I hit puberty, I got real into hair metal. Ah. Because mm -hmm. I was like, it was the most readily available testosterone music of the time. Whoa. Sorry, continue. All right. Now, who is Desmond Child? Well, if you know the name, you've probably heard him. He's, he's unfairly reviled, in my opinion, in a lot of rocker circles for commercializing the sound of a number of once dangerous hard rock icons, none of whom had written an actual hit by themselves since roughly the Carter administration. 
Uh, he doesn't always write wussy power ballads for big, bald, hard-rocking dudes who are being pushed by their evil corporate overlords to sell out their artistic integrity, but that's how he's been stereotyped. So I've tried to lean more toward his up-tempo rockin' side here today. Uh, so what is his signature? Uh, he almost always writes as a collaborator, like I said up top. Uh, with most of the artists whose careers he either kickstarted or revived, Desmond gets in the room with you and he helps you become a bigger sounding version of yourself. Uh, we're going to hear collaborations today with both of the writers, J.D. and Hunter just covered, Diane Warren and Holly Knight. So I, th I think what you're saying about Desmond Child and his songs is that his songs are like a funhouse mirror he holds up to artists so they can see the rock gods they were meant to be. Is that yes. about right? He's like, a, he's like exactly. a genius remodeler. Like we could do a reality show called Rock Rescue yeah. where he goes in and fixes the bars he's like a that fixer. dick in Bar yeah. Rescue. Yeah. yeah. He also kind of looks a little... I would pay a lot of money to see that he show. He also kind of looks a little bit like Satan. Yeah. <laughs> so, maybe, so you know he rocks. Yeah. So maybe, so maybe he's signed a few contracts. So, despite the mythical ideal of the completely self-contained rock band that dates all the way back to the Beatles, many star musicians are not equally talented composers. So if that's all that's holding you back from super mega stardom is the weakness of your original material, Desmond will come in, he'll sharpen up your hooks until they are as big as the gigantic arenas you are about to start playing. You've heard of the 70s band Dr. Hook? Well, Desmond Child is the Hook Doctor. Which brings us to what we're listening to right now. This is a song from Bon Jovi's self-titled debut album. It's called Shot Through the Heart. And we all know that phrase in relation to Bon Jovi, but here is the first draft of that lyric as the main hook in a song. And you know what? The hook is not very good. No. The melody is barely good enough to be a verse, let alone a main chorus. You can get by with this sort of thing as a, you know, a scrappy bar band in the dingy rock club of North Jersey. And the song's got bombast. Yeah, it's got it's it's but got the beginning got. of bombast. It's it's reach. It's reaching for more than it can actually grasp. More ass than bomb. And if you want to reach for that <laughs> rainbow and you want to find that big old pot of gold at the end, you yeah. get Desmond Child in the room with you. Let's all keep reaching. And he for hears that your ideas yeah. and he says, Okay, guys, I see where you're coming from. This is pretty good. Now, what if I'm just spitballing here, but wouldn't it sound better like this? Shit, we're playing arenas now, guys. It just came in my briefs. <laughs> Good thing you got some new ones. Yeah. Hunter's got some gene cream. <laughs> uh, so what you're telling me, Steve? So what you telling us, Steve? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So as we're listening to all these Desmond Child songs, we're looking for the kick-ass hook. Yeah, the stadium hook. The song just might have been shit in demo form, but now it kicks ass because it's been filtered through the mind of a genius. That's absolutely correct. Well, that certainly explains Bon Jovi's early success. But how do you account for the rest of the garbage they put out over the years? Well, they stopped working with him so much. Oh, well, that makes sense. You know when they had that big comeback hit with It's My Life? You know yeah. who co-wrote that is Max Martin. Oh. Britney Spears fella. Yeah, number three <laughs> on the songwriting uh, most number one hits of all time behind yep. Lennon and McCartney. Yep, that's, that's what correct. it says in his office door. Max Martin. Number Britney three. Spears fella. Yeah. <laughs> the Britney Spears fella. Yeah, the Swedish uh, king of pop. Um, and I've been listening to Desmond Child songs, and I I think I've nailed down the universal theme of Desmond Child's music. It's living on the edge. Whether it's pleasure and pain, life or death, love and hate, blue collar or poverty, Desmond's songs are all about people writing some kind of line. They don't even have to be opposites. It could be the line between eating and fighting. Whatever shape it takes, uh, the theme gives all these songs an edgy feel. That's quite Did the we, line, eating, yeah, and, eating fighting. and fighting. Yeah, there's a weird line. That's like there's a scene a from line. Animal House. It's going to be a line between love and desire, too, which, you know, it seems like they're pretty similar. Did we figure out if, if Desmond actually co-wrote Living on the Edge? I never did that. Oh, fuck. As you're, as you're talking your next giant paragraph of lovely information, <laughs> I'll look it up. I did a lot of research, you guys. You're good at I'm it. really into this. We're going to learn a lot today. I'll look it up, you guys. Um, Fantastic. You want to get into this countdown? Sure do. A number 10. 
Yeah, that's right. I'm gonna kick things off with Rats' late, uh, Rats' last major single, "Loving You's a Dirty Job," and I'm the man to do it. This is this is from their 1990 album "Detonator," on which Desmond co-wrote every song. It was Rats' biggest rock radio and MTV hit in like five years, and the last one that ever really did much for them. But it wasn't that huge, and it's a a rare case where a Desmond Child helmed comeback attempt did not produce instant chart boners. This is uh, clearly a band on life support, so the hook doctor came to the rescue. Yep, yep. And the hook in this song is like a blowjob from a lady with a fever. It feels great, but way hot. I think that might get you sick, too. Make your dick the thermometer. <laughs> hey, baby, let me take your temperature. Woo! 103.69! Woo! That was a real David Lee Roth joke right there. <laughs> He's much better than that, believe it or not. <laughs> so apparently, they're in the video... The video is a sequel to the cliffhanger from the previous Shame, Shame, Shame video. Also from this album. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought that one was prior. No. No, They they were in a spaceship fighting another spaceship full of strippers. That's right. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's back to me now. Here's here's the Wikipedia description of this video. They seduced the rival stripper-manned airship with their hot looks, musical abilities, and slick moves. It is implied that they all received sexual favors from the strippers afterwards as a reward. And the Wikipedia article has the word sexual hyperlinked to the article on human sexuality in case you have any further questions. <laughs> Good old Wikipedia. Completely God useless bless sometimes. it. Were they capable captains, these strippers? Well, they all crash-landed on the same planet together, I think. Huh. So, no, I guess they were just strippers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. story. So, I want to talk about Desmond Child's Living on the Edge Oh, wait, here. listen to this bridge oh, real oh, quick. Sure. It's real sweet. Uh, oh, we're listening to that. Spoiler alert. He did not write Living on the Edge. Yeah, no. I saw that. That bridge is so good, they do it a second time later in the song. Oh, that's a good bridge. You never repeat the bridge. The old double bridge. Except here. I like how the the whole song has this ironic distance from sentimentality, but then the bridge goes full-on sentimental. Yeah. Like, I'm going to kiss you till I make you mine. Imagine that, like the rat guy kissing some trashy lady all over the face, uh, and she hates him for three hours, and then she's like, okay, I'm your girlfriend now. Yeah, the oxytocin kicks in. That's how Stephen Piercy met his wife. Who is a model? Yeah. So Desmond Child and this song it rides the line between lust and beautiful love, and the bridge is a great example of that. This is a paradise of filthy fucking, or are we spilling into true love romance? Beautiful song. Yeah. Gorgeous. Thanks, rats. Two T's. guys this is bonnie tyler with the first recorded version of hide your heart there's a lot going on with this song it's sort of a three verse modernized update of the plot of west side story but it's set in contemporary gangland so now there's guns instead of knife fights Hmm. i wonder why Uh, it's so violent because there's guns oh yeah well anyway the first weird thing is that this guy the hero Johnny picks up this girl Rosa on the train which if this wasn't fiction might have been the first time in human history where that actually worked for a dude no one of our friends in New York either Stephen or Andrew I don't remember which one uh, might have met their wives or a girlfriend Uh, anyway one of those dudes met a lover on a train and became a serious relationship so maybe that's something that can happen in New York where the train is a thing. Yeah. I don't know. In New York City, the train cars are like fuck tubes. Not here in L.A. where it's just sort of like boring commuters. Wasn't West Side Story a retelling of Romeo and Juliet? Yes. Yeah, and this is a retelling of West Side Story in three I verses. See. With a chorus that's like all, uh-uh-uh, no na na hey-hey. But that's how good Desmond Child is, that the chorus just evolves into scatting for yeah. no reason. Yeah, you don't even need the chorus yeah. to, to add to the plot. Hey, my thought, but when, guys... Wait, wait, hold on, because when I get good at podcasting, I'm going to remember that, I'm going to try it, and I'm just going to be like, hey, this song is really about uh, sucking clits, and I know that because of cha cha bop 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 Yeah. 
Yeah. That's gonna be me once I'm as good. Oh, you're gonna be David Lee Roth again. Well, well, my my theory was that those hey 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 na na nas was when they do the dance fighting and they snap their fingers. Sure. See, but that's not what happens in the video. Oh. Uh, anyway, so I thought it was I retelling think, uh, a West Side Story. I'm sorry. I guess I guess I they guess, didn't get the, the right. tone. I think ha 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 hey hey do 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 means sucking clits. You know what I think? I, I think that there's a love triangle in this song that we need to make sure we discuss. Because Rosa has a lover named Tito, and we have to assume from the subtle ethnic distinction made in his name that he's the leader of the Sharks. Uh, Tito hears about this affair, and he decides to shoot Johnny. And he does in a scene which takes place on a rooftop. You know, maybe Johnny and Rosa had just enjoyed some love on this rooftop. Maybe Desmond Child had the greatest sexual experience of his life on a rooftop, and he just can't stop writing about it. <laughs> but then Tito finds Johnny on the rooftop, and he shoots him. One interesting thing about this, I think it says Johnny's... Switchblades are way better. There's a, yeah. there's a line that says Johnny's holding Rosa, and I and I think it's this Yeah, part. they just said the rooftop. Yeah, the rooftop. Time and then, still. Here, here. Anyway, this is Johnny's holding Rosa, and I felt I thought it said Johnny's holding roses, which I thought came after he was shot in the stomach, which I thought was oh, a blood. cool like, oh, like blood. a goth metaphor, holding, like the so red holding blood roses, roses, guys. Like his guts were falling out. Yeah, and he's like, holding roses. Yeah. It's awesome. Like but then he, he just he shaped his uh, small intestine into like a little. Bug. Gee, this is corporate rock. Yeah, but he's just holding a girl named Rosa, so it's not that interesting. Uh, yeah. This song also has a weird history. Uh, Desmond co-wrote this with Paul Stanley from Kiss and Holly Knight from Hunter's episode. Hey, hey, that's why it was violent. Shout out. Guns Yeah. Uh, Bonnie Tyler was the first to record it, but within about a year, four other artists also did it. Uh, it's most famous in the Kiss version because they made the lead single off the Hot in the Shade album from 89. Uh, Ace Fraley also did his own version right around the same time. Molly Hatchet Molly covered Hatchet. it. I was surprised about that one. And it was also also done by another female rock singer named Robin Beck on her album Trouble or Nothing. Great facts. Fantastic here's facts. That, here's that dance fight. Yeah, I love that you're kicking your feet out while you're snapping. Our stools are high enough off the ground that we can't touch the floor. If only we were periscoping, all you dudes would be jerking off. Yeah. Oh man. Number eight. We're going back to Tony Zaret's bumpers. We did two episodes. Good job, so, Tony They're Zaret. so good. Yeah. Oh. Do better, I dare you. Guys, it's Michael Bolton. I know. <laughs> I was not, all right, yeah, I was not I into like Michael, Michael Bolton, Bolton when I was younger, but this was the main song of his that I could get on board with anyway. It was like, I think this is one of the two Michael Bolton cassette singles I owned. <laughs> Because it's not now. It's not, I will. I will. I will say this is a good time for the Portman Two, because singles. It's not original, but it is a. It is a portmanteau. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. No problem, fellas. Did you call it a poor man too? I did. I, I yeah, was going. Uh, you know, JD had one that was poor man's toes. Or poor, I don't know. Poor, poor man's toe. It's a. It's a poor man's portmanteau. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Steve. Anyway. You said Donald Fagan, and no one said anything. Donald Fagan and Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this is a song that uh, Desmond co-wrote with Michael Bolton and Diane Warren. He wrote a few other ones with that, Eight with that one triangle. Uh, this was the only hit of the bunch. Uh, Diane, we noted in JD's episode, she prefers not to collaborate, but here she is writing with two dudes. Do you think they were any of them were friends? Yes, I do. Oh, then they could possibly be lovers. That's step yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, wobbly H. Um, <laughs> since this is a Diane Warren song, I'd like to briefly point out this is from the POV of her reassurer narrator, but he's a conflicted narrator writing that line between love and hate, hence Desmond Child's role in the song, uh, but there's also a shit ton of hope, Diane Warren. Uh, the narrator has a plan. Uh, he's game to work out the friendship part so they can keep fucking. That's, yeah, yeah, that's about it. This, this is, uh, being that this is one of the good Michael Bolton songs, in my opinion, most of his hits were like overwrought white boy covers of classic soul songs. Uh, it's a genre that I like to call housewife soul. It's a blend of adult contemporary and blue-eyed soul performed by a bombastic white rock singer who isn't really suited to either of those genres. 
And the culinary equivalent is a sandwich made of nothing but mayonnaise on white bread. You have to do that genre. I think he's the only one in it. I don't think we could get artists out of it. The housewives don't mind. It's, it's the kind of soul music where the housewife doesn't mind watching a guy slowly go bald and have plugs replace it over the car. Yeah, he reminds her of her husband, except more talented. Listen to that, man. I gotta be on acapella break. I gotta be honest. Michael Bolton, Bolton. He was uh, the first guy I really saw that music I didn't like, but I was like, this is fun. I can have fun with music. Really? Yeah. This guy is so crazy looking. He was all he sang with Balding such passion. Balding and long hair. Here's the thing about Michael Bolton: he has that tiny, tiny mouth, and such a big sound comes out of. He yeah. sang the fuck out of these. Yeah. Normally, normally a person that looks like him would be a caretaker in the 1890s. And and there's no pretension in his songs. Definitely not. By the way, after this, he also wrote with Paul Stanley. Like he joined the Jasmine Child universe and. He wrote, he co-wrote the greatest Kiss song of all time, in my unique opinion, which is forever the ultra mega power ballad of <laughs> yep. Cotton Shade. Which is unique. Which is why I know that Steve. Why I now know that Steve doesn't like Kiss. Hurry up, right. in the shade. Anyway, so I, I, it made me wonder, like, are there other nuggets from his career that I never appreciated? Like, does, do his true musical strengths lay elsewhere? But then I think back to this compilation of his early material that I heard, which Hunter, you dug up on the dark net. I did. For you're the welcome. sake of this podcast, and you're welcome, Describe everybody this first, else. and then I'll play. Okay, it. Uh, he was still working under his birth name of Michael Bolotin. I don't know if that, I'm pronouncing it that right. Bolotin. Uh, and there's Bolotin. This, was, this song was kind of an office joke around the All Music Guide back in the day. He does this cover of "Time Is on My Side," and the very first line he sings is so far out of tune, but so loud. You just kind of physically recoil in horror. Do you, do you have that queued up, JD? It's, pl- it's oh, playing good. now. It's All right, listen. Right now. <laughs> wow. Here it comes again. Here it comes again. Sounds like somebody's trying to escape. You know what this guy needs? A name change. Yeah. <laughs> I was... Uh, No, you weren't. Talk about it later. Oh, it's Kiss with a Desmond Child song. There are so many Kiss songs I could have put in the Desmond Child countdown. Yep. Uh, I sort of put two in anyway with Hide Your Heart. Uh, But Paul Stanley was the guy who first gave Desmond his big break. Um... Desmond was in that early disco rock band Rouge, and Paul was a big fan and saw them play in the clubs around New York. And when he decided that Kiss needed a big disco rock song, uh, Desmond was the guy he tapped to co-write it with him. And that was I Was Made For Loving You, which was Desmond's first big success and still one of the biggest pop hits that Kiss ever had. Peaked just outside the top ten. Uh, They linked back up in 84 when Desmond co-wrote Heavens on Fire, among several others. And Paul finally gave Desmond's number to John Bon Jovi, and the rest is history. Hey! Uh, And this is a little hidden gem. Yes, they do. This is the power ballad, Reason to Live, from 1987. Should have been a massive hit, but it was maybe a couple years too early for pop radio to consider playing a Kiss song again. Yeah, they're not going to fall for that again. (laughs) (laughs) These chorus hooks are majestic, as befits all lyrics about dreams and hungers inside. It soars. The song soars like the American Eagles, who gave this great country its name, America. It, all, it also, Paul Stanley was like, Hey, Desmond, I need to break up with a girl. Can you give me a good song for it? <laughs> this song rides the line between hopelessness and hope, maybe even suicide and life. <laughs> that said, Paul Stanley's a terrible singer. He's one of the worst in rock, right up there with Brett Michaels. Did he Did he invent that, that dude's doing the pouty face that douchebags do in photos now? Kind of. I think he did. Well, yeah, he used like, to have the makeup to support it, but then he just kept doing it afterwards. Yeah, I would Steven. too if it helped me go from super ugly to kind of ugly. Yes, yeah, well it worked for Stephen Piercy from Rat, which is, this is the best, to me the best part of this song is the music video where 
It's basically uh, Paul Stanley. He's doing his best kissy faces and throughout and spirit hands. It's getting, he's really getting it up there. And Gene Simmons is basically prison raping you with his mind yeah. during the entire thing. He's just looking at his icy stare. Mm, he's just it's gross, but yeah, it's his his stare and his hips. Yeah, he's just moving. I don't even think he's playing the bass. He's just hurting you with his. He's glowering. Face. And and by the way, Kiss never took the makeup off. They just replaced it with uh, pancake makeup to eyeliner and rouge. They they went more the way they wanted. They went from clown white to foundation. Yeah. Hunter, I had a great segue into my brother's drinking game from that video description you just gave. My brother, my brother Jason, actually invented a drinking game where you had to drink every time Gene Simmons mind raped you or Paul Stanley pouty faced, <laughs> and you forget how many quick cuts there are in music videos. <laughs> we fell so far behind, we ended up owing the game like 89 more sips of beer. Oh god! And you were still hammered. We were still hammered. Yes. It's the whole thing. And it's They're not doing just it on because purpose. I'm a lightweight. Hey, guys, it's because it's if you're on if, if anybody out there in the audience wants to die tonight, try that drinking game. Guys, it's our first ever Beyond Yacht Rock drinking game. Thanks to my brother Jason. Shout out. These are so good. Can I say this right off the top? This is a sex me up, this song. Yeah. That was absolutely. a really appropriate sound effect at the end of that bumper. <laughs> uh, this is Cher. I, I don't think you're doing sex right, Steve. <laughs> it's a boner sound effect. It's like Beavis used to say. Oh, maybe I'm not doing it right. Yeah, you're not. Uh, this is Just Like Jesse James. This was the follow-up to Cher's comeback smash, If I Could Turn Back Time. It's the one that reinvented her as an 80s rock chick who pranced around in body stockings on aircraft carriers. Uh, this also went top ten. Uh, this album, Heart of Stone, has songs by Diane Warren, Michael Bolton, and John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora, the latter of whom she was dating at the time. So she was firmly within this whole Desmond Child extended universe. Uh, this was another Diane Warren co-write for Desmond. And this is really, really clearly a song about how Cher wants to get fucked really hard by Richie Sambora. Uh, as a student of Diane Warren, yes. I, I would like to let... I, this is about how Cher really wants to fuck Richie Sambora. I Diane agree. Warren writes about uh, pussy men and strong women. Now, this song is like... There's, it's packed with outlaw cowboy imagery, which we all know that Bon Jovi loves to think of themselves that way. And they even have the line, Tonight I'm going to take you in, dead or alive. Clearly, clearly this makes her the share if. <laughs> he did it. I did it. Podcast over. <laughs> no, but this rides the line between sex and death. Because uh, I really think Cher might kill this guy while she's fucking him. I take back what I said about this guy. This guy's a pussy. And Cher might, just might kill him. Richie Sambora? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he's married. Is he still married to Heather Locklear? I think they divorced now. Uh, he's probably dead from her fucking him. Probably. He just dies over and over again, and yeah, then he's brought back girl, to life. That lady tore through the rock dudes. You know, I do like. Oh, sorry. I, go ahead. I, I just don't. I was just want to say I don't remember this being on the radio because if I could turn back, if you could turn back time, melted my frontal lobe. I like it. It's all blur after yeah, I, I saw that video. I it. don't remember this being on MTV. I remember this on the radio, but not MTV. Yeah, I remember. I would also, I would also like to point out that if you remove the word heart and substitute dick or pussy, the song still makes it makes even better sense. Because there'll be like, if, if this pussy's gonna break, it's gonna take a lot to break it. If the dick's gonna break, I love breaking. Your dick dicks. is down for yeah, the count, and you know you're gonna thing. lose it. I'm pulling it out by the root. <laughs> I broke my dick. <laughs> you gotta get the root. Hey, it can happen. It can happen. Um, oh, this chorus reminds me. Oh, yeah. Good point. You know what? I actually hear Total Eclipse of the Heart in the beginning. You know, that is a really interesting point because a lot of these songs, they're they're passionate. They're almost a little operatic. Operatic. Mm -hmm. And they kind of remind me of uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart scribe Jim Steinman. Who we'll be talking Already about plugging next, week. next week. I think we should do a show on him, fellas. Cheap plug. By the way, it should go without saying that Jesse James did not actually perish in a fire <laughs> or an airplane crash, as the yeah, song suggests. He was shot rather shot in the, in the back, back by the coward Robert, Robert Ford. Ford. Yep. Fuck that guy. Good hype manning, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> Whoa!
supposed to talk that over that awesome. song? Wow. No, 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 that was no. Really not. That's the first time. Why would we need it? to? I've, yeah, I hadn't listened to it before. It's great. <laughs> you haven't? You didn't listen to it? No, no we don't listen to your uh, links. Okay, listen, I don't listen on my phone. Podden and the casting, so much fun. Yeah. Look out, America! Here we come. We got, we got America, we got America on, the on the run. Yeah, that's right. No, I wasn't quoting the lyrics. I was just oh. saying, "Look out, so America!" It's fifty states and fifty. This podcasts. is mine. This is my state. We'll get to it, son. Uh, maybe it's a little on the nose but with our spanking new 50 State song by the legendary Mark Rivers. Thank you, Mark. Good friend. I decided to play the song that clearly inspired it. That's right. It's Texas Bound and Flying from Smokey and the Bandit Part 2, right? Oh, that, this, this inspired it, right? It's awesome. That's right. Texas Bound and Flying. We're in Georgia. Hey, everybody. We're in Georgia. The home state to Smokey and the Bandit Part 3 star Jerry Reed. And he did this song. It's the Show Me Peaches State. 71 streets with a variation of Peachtree in the title in Atlanta alone. <laughs> Atlanta. Georgian peaches. The home, the home of uh, Coca-Cola and the 1996 Olympics. Ooh. That's right. I went to those Olympics. It was lovely. Sir Muhammad Ali lit the torch. R.I.P. That's right. Yo, he's dead now. Can't you guys no want to talk about You want to talk about Jerry Reed? You want to talk? Can't believe no one else is wearing boxing gloves today. No. <laughs> Good callback. Thank you. Hunter, what's your information on Georgia? Oh, well, I'll give you a little on Jerry Reed first. Oh, please do. Jerry Reed spent much of his youth in orphanages and foster homes. And by high school, he started writing music. Orphanages. I grew up in an orphanage. Orphanages. Pe- peach porn. Orange, peach sandwiches, peach jam, peach pie, <laughs> and the orphanages. At 18, he was, he was signed and began writing and performing. In 1961, after two years in the Army, he moved to Nashville to be a star. That's when he left Georgia. Who fucking cares? Then all of a sudden, Smokey and the Bandit came out, and he played Snowman, which is a movie about getting Coors east of the Mississippi to Georgia. That's Georgia, everybody. Okay, do we list other bands from Georgia yet? No, we do uh, it not. fast. Do okay. Fast. Let's get out of here. Richard was born and raised in Georgia. James Brown, although born in South Carolina, mostly grew up in Georgia. Black Crows, Georgia Satellite, the smoothest uh, southern rock band, Atlanta Rhythm Section, R.E.M., B-52s, Widespread Panic, Drive by Truckers, Indigo Girls, Collective Soul, uh, Mastodon, Seven Dust. The Cave Fuck, Dogs. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, the Ow- Cave Dogs, Mark Rivers Band. Yeah, uh, no, they weren't from there. Uh, Boston. Uh, Outcast, The Bo Goody Mob, oh and all God. the Dungeon Family, oh, TLC, Ludacris, Little John, Usher, and, and fucking Criss Cross. What a that's a good portion that's of not even without. That's without the country act. Let's get that's back to like Jerry Reed. Also, Mark Rivers oh. from Georgia. Yeah, that's right. Let's get back. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Good Thank bumper. Thanks, Mark. We're going to enjoy that for the next 27 states. Yeah. <laughs> what? Ricky Martin? Living La Vida Loca? This is a Desmond Child song? Yeah, you're goddamn right it is, son. <laughs> it was not enough for Desmond Steve, Child to Steve bring... still in Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah! Ricky Martin, y'all! And apparently still in college. It was not enough for Desmond Child to bring hair metal crashing into the top of the pop charts. He had to do the same thing for Latin Pop in 1999. He wrote half the songs on Ricky Martin's English language debut, and this hit paved the way for a similar breakthroughs by the likes of Jennifer Lopez, Mark Anthony, Shakira, and Enrique Iglesias, to name a few. Uh, Desmond actually grew up in Florida, went to college in Miami, and his mother was of Cuban descent. So after all the hair metal hits dried up in the 90s, uh, he left L.A. following the Northridge quake in 94, went back home to reconnect with his roots, and the result was another era-defining smash hit, gentlemen. What, what era would you call that? The era of Latin pop. Ah. I can't believe this song has made one of our lists, and it's not post-Menudo. <laughs> <laughs> this, this chick sound, the, the chick in the song sounds to me like a, like a manic pixie dream girl archetype, but with a really bad cocaine habit. Well, this is living on the edge with hanging out with a girl like this. is perfect Desmond Child. This girl's going to kill you. She's dangerous. It's lust and danger. That's the line you're writing. Her skin's the color mocha. Yeah. Yeah, Desmond Desmond actually gave an interview where he talked about trying to find words like mocha to make the song sound more Spanglish than it actually is. Uh, and they fooled one of the 
record execs enough that he asked for the song to be rewritten in English. <laughs> uh, and he wanted the song idiot. advertised with an English translation of the title because some white people are really that stupid. Oh, so that's check mark two as to why this this is a harbinger of the end of the music industry. Steve, what this fun fact about oh, audio I've, engineers? Yeah. Tell me that. The fun fact, all the audio engineers out there, this is the first number one hit to be entirely recorded and mixed using Pro Tools uh, software. Popularizing the dynamic range compression, just mm. one of the subtle ways music died in the 90s. Check mark number three. I worked in a record store in college when this song came out, and I heard so many white dipshits come in and mispronounce the name of this. Like How did they the, pronounce it? Like it's all the, phonetic. Yeah, but uh, uh, Viva Loco? Because oh. those are like the words they knew in yeah. Spanish. Yeah. Uh, Viva Loco! I mean, it's close, I guess. There would be a Sammy Hagar tequila. Yeah! Offshoot from I Long live crazy. I love this song. I couldn't get enough. I had the single of this. It's right up there with Hit Me Baby One More Time. Wait, wow, did they still sell singles in 99? Yeah, when did this come out? 99? It was like the last single. <laughs> I, like, it's yeah, the only way I could were, find it, and I had a tape player in my car. There were, there were CD singles by this point. Yeah, that's when uh, the music industry shot itself in the foot by pricing CD singles at $7 and pricing kids out of the market. Oh, jeez. Number four. That was number four. The music <laughs> died in the 90s. And this is number four as well, Steve. Oh. <laughs> this is the best Aerosmith power ballad, you guys. Yeah. This is Angel. Yeah. This, I actually agree with that. First, there's a qualifier. Yeah. I agree with that, Steve. It's one like that I actively like. If I've learned a dozen things about Hollywood Steve during this podcast, one of them is that he fucking loves power ballads. I grew up on Barry Manilow. It kind of primed me for it. This is Angel. This was from 87's Permanent Vacation. This was their first big comeback uh, album. Uh, this song is a prime suspect in the reviled child pantheon because of basically the trend that started in Aerosmith's career. There were many, 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 many more big, sappy Aerosmith ballads over the next decade. What does re reviled child mean? It means it's the, the songs that made people hate him. Got it. Yeah. Ah. Because, like, because he co-wrote a lot of these future Aerosmith ballads, too, where they all became kind of interchangeable. They all had the one-word titles. They all had Alicia Silverstone in the videos. I get it now. Reviled Desmond Child. Yes. Not a little baby. Uh, okay. Yeah. Reviled Child. Okay. And in this case, I think it's unfair because I love this song. This was the biggest chart hit Aerosmith had ever had up to that point. Uh, it peaked at number three. It was the first single of theirs that ever made the top five. Well, I'd like to give them a high five because this song is just great. It's super boring and hard for me to find anything interesting to say about it, but it doesn't mean <laughs> I don't like it. It's a lot better than all the other one-word Aerosmith ballads. <laughs> it is a precursor to the Crying Crazy Amazing. Yeah, Crying Crazy Amazing. Yeah. It's nice to hear them dip a toe in that in that bland sound of the... <laughs> but this, isn't, yeah. this one isn't bland. This still has melodramatic... It's, they, it has melodramatic peaks and valleys. I said dipping a toe in yeah, the bland. They did there it. is a bit of a dip, toe dip of bland. And credit to them for doing it three years before the 90s. Yeah, credit to them. <laughs> yeah. Now, as a Desmond Child song, this is a song about a guy on the line between loneliness and fucking. It's a booty call <laughs> song, and the narrator is putting himself at great risk of rejection and deeper loneliness. Right, he just said he's sleeping in his bed alone. That's right. But this song is very romantic, so I would totally fuck this guy if he called me up. Hey, JD, you're my angel. I'd be like, yeah, yeah. I'll be right over. Take a shower, bro. That'd be me, guys. I'd fuck this guy. Hey, you, this you're really into this homoerotic thing. It's just eroticism. Yeah, why you gotta label it, Steve? I Maybe I shouldn't label it. Maybe you're right. Maybe eroticism is eroticism. Hey, Listen so to this uptight. fucking guitar solo. Joe Perry's so good. He's so slippery and unpredictable with his phrasing. And he wasn't tired of playing ballads yet by this point, so it's really, really, really nice solo. Good musicianship. 
lovely Aerosmith. Hmm. Hey, we, they've been in every countdown. Three in a row. Three they in a row. Yeah. Songwriter Aerosmith. I can't believe how much Aerosmith we've been listening to. Aerosmith needed a lot of help from professional songwriters at this stage of their careers. We're really deflating them as like an actual act. Yeah, why are they considered the greatest American rock and roll? Because band? of what they did in the 70s. Really? That's yeah. a, That was yeah. enough? You know who else? I never you know what other American rock many. band did something good in the 70s? The goddamn Ramones! Hey, here we go. Yeah. This is Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I hate myself for loving you. Uh, a lot of people might not realize this, but Joan Jett didn't actually write most of her best-known songs. Some would say any. She's the Aerosmith of female rockers. She, uh, she, the only ones that she co-wrote, co-wrote, thank co-wrote you. are Bad Reputation, which was not a big chart hit, and this one, which was her last top ten hit, uh, and it was her first really big hit in, like, five years. Of course, this is now better known, even better known, I guess, as the theme song to NBC's Sunday Night Football, where it's sung by a contemporary country artist with different lyrics each week about that night's matchup. Cleveland Browns, round and round, going against the Lions. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> hate it so much. It's so terrible, but that's the biggest reason you have to have Desmond Child punch up your originals. Because when you get half the songwriting credit, and 18 years later NBC decides to make your composition into a dumb football song every week, you get a fuck ton of royalty money, part of which Joan Jett spent on a $75,000 electric model Cadillac. True story I looked up on the internet. So while I do hate that opening, I'm glad anytime anybody can take money from the NFL is great. And especially if it's Joan Jett, pioneering yeah. female rock icon. Or especially Joan Jett. if it's the taxpayers. Stop paying for sh- shit from the NFL. I hate to burst your bubble. I think NBC paid for this song. Oh, Sorry, bro. They that never doesn't... pay for anything. <laughs> NFL's tax exempt, right? They don't pay taxes. Yeah, they're like a church. They're labeled uh, as a nonprofit. Yeah. They're labeled as a church. Oh. So this song to me rides a line between shame and desire. Even even the title itself rides uh, the line between love and hate. And I like it. It's kind of the, one of those meatloafy titles that makes total sense, but it's sort of with a linguistic contradiction. Another uh, subtle nod to the Stein Man. We're hearing a lot of those titles, but all of our songwriters have done these songs. Like Diane Warren has done meatloaf songs. I think yeah. Holly Knight has, and they all have those funny titles. Yeah, meatloaf, not a songwriter. No, but boy, Performer. could he sing. Yep. I got a weird bit of trivia about this song. Uh, when Joan Jett was putting her first hits compilation together, there was some sort of licensing issue with the songs from this album, Up Your Alley. Uh, so Joan just re-recorded this note for note as close as she could get it, and that's the version that appears on her only in-print greatest hits album. They even have the exact same running time of 4.07, so it's really hard to tell the difference. But this one on Spotify is the original. You can also find the original on the soundtrack of the movie Striptease, starring Demi Moore. Ding, 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 ding! That alarm means this is the second Burt Reynolds movie we've mentioned without mentioning Burt Reynolds. So, we there did you it. go, Burt. There's one for you, Burt. There's one for Burt. We know you're listening. I know we don't have a lot of time. Have you guys ever seen that movie, Light of Day, with Mike? Shit, yeah. I think that was right around the time that this came out. This was right before yeah. it. Right before it. I think that was like 87 and I, this was 88. That Joe really made Jet. looking like uh, being a rock star look like it sucked Yeah. That movie. Well, they were struggling. Mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox, Joan Jett and Nancy McKeon were in that, and I had crushes on both of them. Ryan that line between poverty and glory. Light of Day. Stealing meat at the market. Not a Burt Reynolds movie. Dave is going to find that sound effect appropriate for this song yes. because it's Bon Jovi. Not yeah. just Dave. Living Jesus on a prayer. Christ. 
You can't have a Desmond Child countdown without the band that he took to superstardom twice. Bon Jovi. This this song and its predecessor, which we heard earlier in the uh, count earlier in the show. Uh, Didn't we have two prayer. of them? Oh yeah. Well, well, the first one wasn't a hit. You give love a bad name and living on a prayer were the songs that busted the pop charts wide open for hair metal. But it's still the third Bon Jovi song we've heard in the podcast. Yeah, but it was Today. the biggest hit. But you can't listen if you took a second to do your own research on this, Dave, Desmond Child and Bon Jovi go hand in hand. It was either them or oh, Kiss. Oh, no, I'm aware. You're going to be mentioning Meatloaf 500 times, and we're going to get true. bored. It is true. Jim Twice. Steinman. That's going to happen. Twice. Yeah, you're gonna, it's going to wind up playing more. Anyway. Sorry, anyway. It's, it's the same song Dave. three times. I'm out of Dave. I want to get back to this week's show. Bands like Def Leppard, Rat, and Quiet Riot had all had hit singles. Van Halen, of course, hit number one with the synth-heavy Jump. But Bon Jovi's chart breakthrough was the beginning of an era. This was these, these two Bon Jovi singles were the first hair metal songs to go <laughs> all the way era. to number one. This one was for a full month. And even though this is an easy choice and a karaoke cliche, the countdown would be incomplete without this, one of his greatest achievements. This specific song was on my personal band list for a birthday party I threw a few years ago. It was band, B-A-N-N-E-D. It was a karaoke party, and I I didn't want to hear it. I don't really like hearing Bon Jovi sing this song, as much less you assholes or other people at my party. But other bands on the list were Aerosmith, <laughs> Baby Got Back, and Anything by Jimmy fucking Buffett. And, uh, and you should add uh, Sweet Carolyn, Caroline. You know what? That, that. Actually, that was on there, too. Uh, you know what's Despite worse? Despite your love of Neil Diamond. You know yeah. what's worse than listening to a drunk chick do this one? What's listening that? to ten of them do this one. Because for some reason, this song allows people to invite all their friends up on stage to all... Caroline? No, this song. Oh, this song. Living oh, and swear. Caroline. It's it's for some reason there's the girl they get drunk and then they go I'm too shy to go up and well they're like we'll all go we'll up, all go up and, and sing it like the swinging yeah. medallions double shot of my baby's love or Barbara uh, Ann. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's the worst thing. Never do this song. Unless you can actually pull it off. No, not don't because you, you it's been ruined. It's beyond. I th- I, Ten Bucks says John Bon Jovi can't even do this song right anymore because it sounds like he can barely hit the notes at the key change at the end, even in the studio. He's got such big pearly white teeth. I think his teeth oh, yeah. might have like damaged his throat somehow. But this song is about two lovers riding the line between blue collar and poverty. Lucky for these folks, even though money is tight, so is Gina's gyno. And as we know, when you got love... Putting dick inside of a pussy is free. Well sung, John Bond. Well sung. I want before we get out on this one. I want to argue that "Slippery When Wet" is top to bottom the best arena rock album of the '80s. There's not an unmemorable song on it. I think it should be considered a classic. And I just want to say, if you're going to do a karaoke song to John Bon Jovi, do "Run Away." Thank you. So glad you're off Bon Jovi's dick now. That's right. We're going to settle down on Alice Cooper's dick because he's number one yeah. with his comeback top ten smash, Poison. Ah. I put this ahead of Living on a Prayer because this is one of the greatest fucking songs ever written. And it's way better. Yeah. It's yeah. also way better. Is it better than What a Fool Believes, Hollywood Steve? Can you prove to me right now that this is not one of the greatest songs ever written? Prove it. Negative. You can't. We can prove it is, because it's at number one. Listen, Steve, I'm going to build a wall, okay? It's going to be beautiful, all right? It's not the best song ever. I'm building a wall, Steve. I just said one of. Mexico. Mexico's going to pay for it. Mexico's going to pay for this not being the greatest song ever. I'm building a wall, Steve. I didn't say the greatest song ever. I said one of the greatest songs ever written. I'm building a wall. building a wall. Steve, prove that this isn't the greatest song ever. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Listen to it. <laughs> Listen go to ahead. the way this fucking pre-chorus builds up. No, this is a great song. Here we go. Oh, 
This is, this is perfect. This is that. It's, the tone is perfect for Alice Cooper. It's, it's perfect for a resurrection like uh, song because it's got yeah, the this... horror rock thing that yeah. was his thing, and then it's got that. It's got the soaring drums and the guitar and just blah, 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 blah. and it, it's in, it's current. It's also like this borderline power ballad in eighth grade at but a dance. But not quite. Yeah, they would play rocking. this and nobody knew whether to slow dance or not. Mm-hmm. I touched a, sound... I touched a boob to this song <laughs> over the shirt. Yeah, nice. that's what this song does to people. This kind of sounds like a ballad, but then it, it rocks too fucking hard when and, you get into this part. And it's scary. It's it's a perfect, perfect example of Desmond Child's Life on the Edge theme. Riding that line between horniness and death? Yep. There's no yep. there's no thinner line. Sex and violence. I ride that line every day, boys. Mostly because I married a bear trap. I did. I really, literally a bear trap. My wife, Leah, she's a beard. Uh, so no one finds out I'm a wildlife trapasexual. My favorite ex-girlfriend, a deep pit with a bunch of bamboo leaves over it. Some punji sticks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I dug a little hole in the side yeah. of that pit, and I'd fuck it. Oh, anyway, I want to give the, the more of the history behind this song. <laughs> so after Desmond resurrected Aerosmith's career, his next assignment was getting Alice Cooper, you know, another hair metal kind of godfather, formative influence. He had to get Alice Cooper some of that sweet, sweet MTV hair metal money. So he co-wrote every song on Alice's 1989 comeback album, Trash. He brought a bunch of friends with. Diane Warren co-wrote Bed of Nails. John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora co-wrote Hell is Living Without You. He even got Joan Jett to co-write a song, which was the second single, House of Fire, which inexplicably flopped because it's pretty damn good. Uh, he also got Steven Tyler to do backing vocals on the power ballad Only My Heart Talking. It's just it's the whole Desmond Child expanded universe on one record, basically. That's our new web show at Desmond's house. Yep. Good idea for a web show. Go to I'll, bet, I'll house. bet he'd be way more grateful than Hall. <laughs> um, a lot of the songs on this album, they're like the horniest version of Alice Cooper. Like they're trying to substitute 80s sleaze for the 70s shock rock. And it mostly, mostly pretty much works because the hooks are pretty damn good. I mean, a lot of, if you grew up with Alice Cooper, you might not like this as much. Um, I, this is. This is the, of all the Alice Cooper songs there are, this is the one that I can't wait to go back to again and again and again. If I hear this blasting out of a bar, I will immediately want to go drink in that bar. And even if you don't like hair metal, there's still a fantastic chance you're going to hear Poison and be swept away by its awesome rock power and say to yourself, okay, that one's pretty fucking sweet. I love it to death. It is Killer. You see what I did there with the album titles? Hey! The Alice Cooper album titles? No. Oh, not really. I didn't see oh, that at all. Yeah. Went pearls before swine, gentlemen. Alice Cooper fans just got a huge wetty. Mm-hmm. What didn't make the list, boys? I really would have liked to have... Well, I would have preferred I Was Made for Loving You, Baby, where Kiss Went Disco, written by Desmond Child. But, Steve, I get your point with Reason to Live. And that totally would have fit the countdown. Yeah, it would have been probably my second choice after Reason to Live. Maybe I think your number one should have been Thong Song by Cisco. <laughs> and he is credited on as writing that song, but the only reason <laughs> is that Thong Song has a very brief interpolation <laughs> of Livin' La Vida Loca. Uh, yeah, I put that on there to you piss make, you off. You make a good point, Dave. JD would have had that number one. So, mm-hmm. so not only did you not put I Was Made For Loving You, Baby, but when I looked it up, I found out that you also bumped Let's Put The X In Sex yeah. to Get Reason To Love It. That Which is, was a new song written for the compilation Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. Well, no, I don't. Yeah. I think it was written before, but they left it off and they just... Because it wasn't good. Because <laughs> it's Let's Put The X In Sex. is amazing. Steve, prove to me that that's not the best sleaze rock song ever made. Even you, Kiss wouldn't put it on can't. an album. Steve, yeah. love's like a muscle and you make me want to flex it. That's... that's a, yeah, there's, there's some kind beautiful. of... Uh, like, you make me wanna, I you like that. Make me wanna child. come rock hard. There's some some lyric like that in there. Too. Loves like a muscle. Uh, I saw he wrote a song uh, by Lindsay Lohan called "I Live for the Day." So I listened to it, and you know what? It's badass. Yeah, it's a classic Desmond Child hook. Uh, if it was written in the hair metal era, it would have been a huge arena hit. Is it a ballad? 
no, it's a rock and roll song oh. by Lindsay Lohan. That's why it's not on she, the list. Lindsay Lohan lives on the edge. She's our yeah. generation's yeah. Jesse James. Yeah. Never a mistake. JD, with her. before you take us out, can you play the Michael Bolo Tin Time is on my side one more time? Absolutely, because it's a wonderful it's song. Stunning. Next episode, Dave's in the Captain's Chair, as we said, and our songwriter series continues with Jim Steinman. It's going to be epic. Here he comes. Oh, yeah. That's right, boys. It's on our side. <laughs> Find this week's Desmond Child playlist by following J.D. Risner on Spotify. Check out our show notes page at feralaudio.com for some deep research on today's episode by Tim Malcolm. Is he at Tim Malcolm? Timothy Malcolm. Okay. At Timothy Malcolm. Is there an underscore? I don't think Hey, try it both so. ways. You'll find him. We should ask him. See if he can put that in our show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. And for fuck's sake, if you, you want to ask if something's a yacht or not, send a link. We're not geniuses. We got to hear the song. Follow J.D. <laughs> J.D. Riznar. Follow Hollywood Steve at Hollywood Steve H. Follow David. David underscore B underscore Lions. Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. <laughs> like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. Go to YachtRock.com for what will hopefully one day be a useful experience. Thanks to Tony Zara for the bumpers. We liked them so much we used them twice. Yeah! And thanks to producer Dustin Marshall for riding that line between podcasting and laundry. Check out other Feral Audio podcasts on feralaudio.com. This song, this song does for singing. This song does for singing what Ray Charles does for seeing. <laughs> All right. Happy time! Been doing a lot of drugs. Okay. Go to the library.